You're listening to Let's Talk Creation, the science podcast that's just for you. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Creation with Todd and Paul. I am Todd Wood. And I'm Paul Garner. And we are here to talk about creation. Um, before we get started, I want to remind you, leave a like, leave a review. Um, this really helps us out with all those social media algorithms that are trying to sort out the cacophony of stuff you want to hear. So if you uh, make sure that you do that, you'll be sure to see our latest releases in the future. So thanks for that. That helps us out quite a lot. Well, Happy New Year, Paul. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. So over here in the U- in the U.S., we do a lot of, uh, well, I don't know that we do a lot of it, but, you know, it's traditional to make resolutions for the new year. And it usually takes, you know, a couple of days before we break them, um, which then leads to the, the running gag of why do we even do this? Is that a big deal over there in the UK? Do you guys make New Year's resolutions at all? Yeah, uh, people make New Year's resolutions. And like you say, I think they're made to be broken, really, aren't they? Um, I, I've never been one for making New Year's resolutions, really, because I'm just so bad at keeping them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I just try to, you know, plan out, you know, what is the year basically going to look like? That's that's my mm-hmm. my goal and my aim. And yeah, so my year is going to look more like what you see. I'll be in my studio here on, on, on the side of my mountain, the side of my hill, I guess, and uh, doing a lot of research, doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of mentoring, mm-hmm. the usual stuff, right? Yep. Uh, all right. Well, Paul, yep. this episode, we have an interesting uh, experiment, and I, I hope it goes well. Um, so we've been talking a lot about the importance of creation, why why someone should be, why, you know, why we think Christians ought to be creationists and so forth. And, you know, it comes up every now and then. I, I hear people talk about, well, you know, that's in the Old Testament. It doesn't really come up a lot, right? You know, you look at Moses and the law of Moses, man, that runs through a huge part of scripture, but, you know, creation, the flood, that stuff, those are just stories sort of tacked on the beginning, and it's not really all that important. So, you you and I always think about, well, that's not true. There's There's lots of things that seem quite important about these sorts of things, these sorts of details, and so we thought we'd have an episode here where we uh, we try to lay out um, what you could reasonably figure out about creation only from the New Testament. So imagine mm-hmm. if we didn't have Genesis at all, what could we learn? And I want to emphasize here before the, the uh, misreading uh, occurs in our uh, listeners, among our listeners, we, we think Genesis is really important, right? I mean, this is not, <laughs> this is a mind experiment. This is not, we don't need Genesis and we can get rid of it. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I want to make that perfectly clear. This is just, you know, what if? What if Genesis wasn't even there? What would we know? And, and the aim here is to show the, the Genesis really goes throughout the scripture. Um, if we think that we can just, you know, play around with the meanings of those early chapters and everything else is going to be fine and it doesn't really matter, I'm not so sure that's true. Um, so that's that's our experiment. So we've done this a little bit before, yeah. right? So back in our second episode, yeah. which reviewers, uh, our listeners uh, could review, um and listen to again, we talked about three big points, right, Paul? So one of them Hmm. was Adam. So Hmm. what can we know about the existence of Adam and, and who he was uh, from the new Testament? Where, where does he show up? Yeah. 
Well, let me just back up a bit, Todd. Okay, so I back up a comment little bit. On, so, yeah, so, so I, yeah, I just wanted to comment on some of the things that you just said, because I absolutely agree. Um, so often in our discussions about uh, creation, the default is to jump right to Genesis chapter one, yeah. as if the entire debate really is focused around the interpretation of that one chapter in the Bible, or even the interpretation of one word in that one chapter, the word day, day, yes, day. Uh, in Genesis <laughs> chapter one. And I, I, I must confess, I mean, sometimes I think uh, those of us who are young age creationists have been guilty of giving the impression uh, to those who disagree with us that that's really what the, the, the discussion is all about. And actually, it really isn't, as, as you say, um, the, the, the creation narrative is actually threaded all the way through the bible right. from genesis to revelation uh it's a it, it's a key component of the overall biblical redemptive um storyline of the bible and this really isn't about the interpretation of just one chapter uh certainly not just one word in in one chapter so i think it's really important for us to say that we're talking about multiple passages that we find throughout the scriptures and it is surprising, I think, as we'll see in this episode, how much of that young age creationist position can be established solely from the New Testament. Um, we, you know, even if we don't look at um, Genesis or, or even other parts of the Old Testament. So to come back then to, to um, the point you, you just raised. So, um, yeah, there are these we talked in episode two about these sort of three key um, aspects of, of the creationist position uh, that we can establish um, on New Testament, on a New Testament basis. And one concerned Adam. Adam is a real historical individual from whom the entire human race is descended. And I think one of the things that we immediately notice if we begin to pay attention to the relevant New Testament texts is that the New Testament clearly um, assumes that Adam was a real historical individual. Yes. That he was a real man. He really existed. Right. Uh, he, he wasn't um, simply a mythical figure who represents humanity. And he's referred to alongside other characters from the Bible who are clearly regarded as historical characters. Yep. So uh, one example, Luke chapter 3 and verse 38 uh, we see there Luke including Adam in the genealogy of Jesus himself right. uh, you know he is he's clearly not there as a mythical figure he, he is listed alongside other real historical individuals from the Old Testament and Jesus genealogy is traced back to that first man Adam who was made in the image of God, who right. is the son of God. Yep. Um, and there are there are a number of references like this. Another one would be um, in the book of Jude in verse 14, where we learn that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Uh, again, you know, there's just a, an assumption that these uh, genealogies um, that are being drawn upon from from the Old Testament are historical and that these are these are real individuals. Um Matthew chapter nineteen. Yeah, um, that's a big classic one example. Because, that's a big one because it's that's the one I that or that is one of them that establishes when people mm. were created, right? So and yeah, it's come exactly. from the mouth of Jesus too. So exactly, it comes from the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees uh, concerning his teaching on marriage and divorce, and he grounds his teaching about marriage and divorce on the historical events in the book of Genesis. And he refers specifically to the fact that from the beginning, God had made them male and female. Uh, and for this cause, a man leaves his uh, father and mother and cleaves to his wife right. and the two become one flesh. And he's drawing there clearly on, on the old Testament teaching. So again, we can establish uh, from new Testament texts, the existence of this original couple uh, not named specifically, but clearly that's that's who's in in view in that passage. And we see the Apostle Paul doing the same thing uh, in uh, a number of places yeah. in his epistles. Right. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, where Paul is giving some teaching about um, men and women 
and uh, without sort of getting into the weeds of exactly what his teaching there yeah. about the roles of men and women uh, that's 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 another that's another controversy. I don't really want to open that's that. That's another controversy. But regardless of what it is that he's actually teaching there about men and women, he grounds his teaching in the historical reality of Adam and Eve and Eve, you know, Adam being formed first and Eve being the one who was deceived and so on. Uh, so again, you know, there are lots of details uh, about uh, Adam and Eve and their creation and order of creation and all of those things made in the image of God that we can draw directly from the New Testament texts, even if we don't actually refer directly to the book of Genesis. Yeah. So that's the existence of Adam uh, as mm. a real person. And yeah. so the second one that we mentioned in that episode was that something has gone wrong with creation, that it was mm. that the, the, the way creation is now is not the way it was supposed to be. And that yeah. creation is looking for liberation. Yeah. And that comes from a lot of passages. We're going to talk about actually we're going to expand on that. So let's just let's just leave that one out there. The sin has messed it up. And and one of the things that we might point yeah. out here just very briefly is is Paul's discussion of Adam and in his epistle to the Corinthians, first epistle of the Corinthians mm. and in his letter to the Romans. Um so in both places he talks about Jesus undoing what Adam did, right? Adam sinned, Adam brought death, Jesus was obedient to death, and now he brings life. Um, so, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna elaborate on that in, here in a second. So I'm gonna move on to the third one, and the third one is the flood. So, where do we find all this about the flood in the New Testament? Is Noah in the New Testament? Uh, he is. He I mean, is. Noah is referred to a number of times in the New Testament, both um, by Jesus himself, but also by uh, the apostles in, in their letters. Um, but one key passage is uh, found in 2 Peter and chapter 3, uh, very important concerning uh, the, the, the role of the flood in the biblical storyline. So the flood in um, that particular passage is being portrayed as a kind of global... Um, epoch-defining event that anticipates a new creation that's to come. So uh, Peter there portrays the flood as a kind of critical turning point in earth history where an old world is destroyed and a new world emerges, a new world is, is ushered in. And if you analyse that particular passage, um, the Apostle Peter really speaks of three creations in parallel so he talks about the original creation where the earth was formed from water and with water out of water and then um of course in you know in the original creation what god does is he separates the water and the dry land so we you know we have the forming of of the the, the earth that then existed but then peter says the flood came and the flood destroyed that old creation in effect, it kind of reversed what God did in Genesis chapter one, because the waters once again cover the earth. It's the reversal of creation, the undoing right. of creation. Yeah. And then at the end of the flood, uh, again, the dry land emerges, the waters recede and there's uh, a new world. And that's the world that we live in today, that post flood world. But Peter says there's going to be another judgment to come, this time by fire, not by water. But from the ashes of this old world, there'll be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth uh, that emerge from uh, a kind of renewed, purified uh, new creation that emerges. And when you realise that that's how Peter is portraying the flood, it becomes very hard to view the flood as anything less than universal uh, because it clearly is about the undoing of the original creation and an anticipation of the new creation. Right. And those are universal. Right. Yeah. We know uh, that. So, so right. how <laughs> we, we know that. So, so how can the flood? Yeah. Yeah. 
it must all likewise be universal. It's very hard to see how, how we can really think of it otherwise. So we can establish, I think, the universality of the flood from the New Testament wow. as well. Wow. So we get Noah, we get the flood, <clears throat> we get Adam and Eve, we get the sin and the fall. That is yeah. that is quite a lot. I mean, that's that, and and we get the we get the date right from the beginning of creation. God made the male and female. So we get mm-hmm. some sense of how long ago thing this is how long ago this has been here, right? So humans have been yeah. around from the beginning. Yeah. That is that's quite a bit. I mean, it's not quite as explicit as it's spelled out in Genesis, maybe. Um, but it sure does. Yeah, it sure does make sense that we can we can we can learn a lot uh, about about creation and about what Genesis teaches simply from from reading the New Testament. Okay, so question then: Do you have any idea how often the Bible or the New Testament, let's say the New Testament, um, makes references to uh, the early chapters of Genesis? Does anybody try to count these things up and yeah. make a record or something? Yeah, I'm uh, well, certainly um, one person who has done so was Henry Morris. OK, uh, we t- we talked about Henry Morris when we did our um, episodes on the Genesis flood. Yes. He's widely regarded as one of the uh, fathers of modern creationism, one of the sort of founders of the modern creationist movement and. Another book that he uh, wrote uh, besides the Genesis flood was this book, the Genesis record, uh, which I think was published in 1976. And this was um, a commentary on the entire book of Genesis. I I remember reading this many years ago. Um, Henry Morris has a very sort of easy um, devotional style of writing. Uh, But one of the things in this book that I think is most of relevance to our discussion today is actually an appendix that appeared in the back of his book, appendix um, number four. And if anybody has a copy of the Genesis flood on their bookcase, um, I I recommend having a look at this appendix because what um, what Henry Morris does there is he lists 200 uh, quotations from or references to the book of Genesis in the New Testament. Okay. And he, 200. Um, that is, that seems like 200. a lot. 200. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot. And in fact, what's very interesting is 100 of those references are to the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. So that's from creation to the tower of Babel. Okay. And 63 of them are to the first three chapters of Genesis. So that's obviously the cre- the original creation week yeah, yeah. and the details of the creation of man and then the uh, biblical account of the fall. Uh, 14 of the references are to Genesis chapters 6 to 8. So that's the account of the flood. So there seems to be a particular emphasis in the New Testament, in fact, on those early chapters of Genesis that deal with early earth history um he notes that every book of the new testament with the exception of philemon uh, 2 john and 3 john seem to contain some allusion to the book of genesis and of the 50 chapters of the book of genesis only seven he thinks are not directly um quoted from or referred to somewhere in the new testament and And 25 of these um, references that he lists here come directly from Jesus himself. So it's it's a fascinating list. I think it forms the basis of a really useful study um, around the topic that we're talking about today. What does the New Testament actually say about creation? There is there is a real emphasis in the New Testament on those early chapters of Genesis and the importance of understanding them in order to understand the rest of the, 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 the Christian story, sure, the Christian yeah. message. And it reminds me, you know, thinking about theology, right. And thinking about how you, how you read scripture and draw out and reason through the doctrines that it's teaching. Um, 
one of those one of the principles that you got to be careful about is to not create a big doctrine based on a very small number of verses, right? Call that proof right. texting, right? You don't want to emphasize, right. overemphasize something that's very simple and unclear. One of those we were talking about in Sunday school the other day is, you know, what happened to Jesus while he was in the tomb? Uh, so mm. old Christian tradition, and it's in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. And is that really what happened? And we said, well, we it's hard to say from the text that we have in the scripture. It's, it, it's possible. And we had we had a, we have I have a seminary professor in my Sunday school class, and he just sort of he just sort of grunted and shrugged and said, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> "It was pretty funny." So so thinking that you know applying that then that reasoning of you know don't overinflate mm. overinflate the the minor parts of scripture. Mm. Yeah, when you see that Genesis is referenced that much mm. uh, in the New Testament. And not just that, but like we we said previously, it was those key points, right? The Adam and Eve, sin, the flood. Uh, these form really key parts of certain sections of Scripture. Uh, this isn't, you know, emphasizing creation and emphasizing the, the core historical nature of Genesis 1 through 11. That's not minoring, you know, that's not majoring on a minor. That's not inflating... Mm -hmm. <laughs> a text more than it ought to be. Right. I think that really is, you know, listening to what scripture is actually teaching about these things mm. and drawing out from it meaning that is present in the text. Mm. I don't yeah. think that we're that we're overinflating things. No. And what's really interesting is as you look through that list that Henry Morris gives in that book, um how many of the very specific details about the creation account? Yeah can be established because they're referred to in the New Testament. So we have the creation of the heavens and the earth from nothing. Uh, we have the creation of light from darkness. We have the creation of the earth from water. Um, we have the creation of Adam and Eve um, made in the image of God. Uh, we have the order of creation that Eve was first, uh, that Adam was first and then Eve. We have the goodness of creation the completeness of creation, the fact that God rested on the seventh day. Um, we have the serpent deceiving Eve. Um, we have death coming into the world through Adam's sin. Uh, as we're going to talk ab uh, about in just a few moments, we have the whole creation groaning um, since the curse. We have the fact that God destroyed the old world with a flood, that he provided an ark for Noah, that only eight people were saved. And so on and so on. Right. I mean, there are so many very specific details that even if we didn't have the Old Testament, we could reconstruct much of the outline of the events of Genesis 1 to 11 because of how they're dealt with in the New yeah. Testament. And, I'm, and I'm, I find it so impressive that even some of what appear to be trivial details, right? Because, mm. uh, you know, one of the... One of the, the um, the common New Year's resolutions is, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And then you hit the genealogies and you're like, I'm going to skim through the Bible this year. <laughs> right? But even in the New Testament, you've got Luke, who repeats the genealogy. And then you've got, um, you've got Jude, who mentions Enoch as the seventh from Adam, right? As you, you already mentioned. So even what seems to be just like, passages that you just sort of shrug your shoulders and go, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. They're, they're part of the New Testament record as well. They form, they form part of what the New Testament authors believed and, and the Holy Spirit believed we ought to have. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, g given, given the amount of time um, or, or rather space that's devoted to genealogies in the Bible, They've got to be important, right? I, you know, yes. they, they were important enough that the Holy Spirit included those genealogies in the Bible and they're there for a reason. Yep. And I think we far too lightly just skip over them and think nothing to I see agree. here. Um, and I think there are all kinds of um, treasures that can be mined from from those genealogies. Absolutely. So we should pay more attention. to them. Yes, I think so. And, and if I may get on my soapbox as well, uh, instructions <laughs> for the temple and the tabernacle. 
also uh-huh. really important. I mean, you know, God yeah. saw fit to leave us with these long sections about exactly mm-hmm. what kind of fur you were supposed to make the tabernacle out of. Yeah, that actually has yeah. relevance and meaning, I think. And so, yeah, we shouldn't just skim over those parts. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> it actually mm-hmm. probably takes a bit of a, a bit more exegesis there, a bit more study and mm-hmm. and and. Uh, than the read through the Bible in a year sort of uh, New Year's resolution. But all right, well, let's uh, have a short break here and then we're going to get right back into the, the groaning of creation and what that means. You've been listening to Todd and Paul Talk Creation. If you'd like more information about any of the subjects discussed in the show, please visit us at coresci.org slash podcast. That's coresci.org slash podcast. You've been listening to Todd and Paul Talk Creation. If you'd like more information on sponsorship opportunities, or maybe you'd like to have a product or book reviewed or discussed on our podcast, please contact us at podcast at coresci.org. That's podcast at coresci.org. All right, welcome back. So, Paul, let's, uh, let's get right into it groaning of creation how about you uh take us through the basic idea there when paul talks about the groaning yeah so that's uh, a passage in romans chapter 8 which we'll, we'll come on to in just a moment but just to kind of set the scene here a bit of context um and we alluded to it earlier in in the first half of this episode the new testament is very clear um, about the connection between physical death and the entrance of sin into the world. And we see it in a number of passages. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, we have Christ's physical uh, bodily resurrection contrasted with the death that came through Adam. Um, Romans chapter 5, explicitly affirming that death came into the world through sin. Um, in fact, the physical sufferings and uh, death of Christ on the cross, I think, make this connection uh, inescapable because sure. um, we're told in the New Testament that the Son of Man had to suffer and to die in order to pay the penalty for sin. Clearly, you know, if we reason from solution back to plight, that's because suffering and death yeah. had something to do with the sin that that, that Christ is paying for. Um we're told that Christ's sufferings were not purely uh, spiritual. They they were they were clearly physical. Clearly. He he had to suffer had to suffer in his body. Um, the apostle Peter says, um, "Death is portrayed in the New Testament as an enemy." Mm-hmm. So all of this shows that you know clearly there's this connection between uh, sin and Christ's sufferings and his death uh, that pay for that sin. So there's there's this clear causal connection. And I think lots of Christians, um, you know, even who may disagree with us on creation might might be willing to say, fine, you know, I, I accept there's some sort of connection between at least human death, human death yeah. and <laughs> human death and sin. But what about the rest of creation? You know, what about animal death? What, what about, um, you know, the suffering that we see in uh, the non-human creation what about that and lots of christians i think would say well the bible just doesn't say anything about that and i i think that's mistaken i think there are some good reasons from uh, the old testament certainly um, to make a connection between the suffering and death that we see in the animal creation the non-human creation and an adam's sin but i think also uh, and this comes to our point today we can establish Uh, something very similar at least from the New Testament itself and that brings us to Romans chapter 8 and I wonder Todd I I know you've got your uh, Bible there on your device you're much more up to date than me I've I've, you still have a paper Bible oh my god I've got my paper Bible um I, I just wonder if you wanted to read that passage Romans 8 verses 19 through to 23 because um, I think it would be helpful as we talk about this passage and what it means uh, just to have it fresh in our minds. All right, here we go. There we go. All right, 19 through 23, right? That's it, yeah. All right, well, let me start. Let me start in 18. That's where the section starts. Mm-hmm. This is Paul talking about, uh, in my version here, my ESV, it's labeled future glory. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved. All right. So, yeah. That's that's rich. That yeah. is a lot there's, in there. There's a lot there and we 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 can't really do it justice no. um today. But there are three questions I want to sort of briefly uh, think about as we we consider this passage. The first one is, what is the word creation referring to in this passage? You know, what what does Paul mean when he refers to the creation? The second question is, who subjected the creation? We, the passage says that the creation was subjected yes. in hope. Mm -hmm. Who subjected the, the creation? And then the third question is, when did that subjection happen? So I think three important questions for us just to consider so the first question then is you know what does the word creation refer to here in this passage and i think there are various you know uh, suggestions that have been made um some people have suggested you know it could refer to um the angelic creation uh i think okay i, I don't think i don't think that makes much sense um Firstly, because uh, if we're talking about the fallen angels, um, they are not longing no. eagerly for the revelation That's of right. the children of God. And we <laughs> know that because uh, they reacted that way to Jesus, right? They said, oh, don't right. send us into the abyss yet, Jesus. Yeah. Right. And they can't be redeemed anyway. Um, they're, they're looking, right. you know, we're told here that this creation is looking forward to its own liberation. Well, it can't be the fallen angels. Right. Can it be the unfallen angels? Well, the unfallen angels don't need redemption. They, they they may be eagerly looking forward to the revelation of the children of God, but they're not awaiting their own liberation. Right. Um, so that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, it's probably not, almost certainly not referring to unbelieving humanity either, because, again, for the same reason, unbelieving humanity is not eagerly longing for the revelation of the children of God. Um it can't be referring, I think, to believers because the contrast is with believers. OK, it says not only the creation, but we also. Yeah, um, it's clearly not referring to to, to believers. Um, it has to be separate from, you know, th this creation has to be something separate from the, the children of God. So by a process of elimination, I think we're kind of driven to the conclusion that the creation refers to the, the creation, creation. Yeah. the world around us. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the non-human creation. That's, that's what it's referring right. to. Um, not angels, not unbelievers, not believers themselves, but everything else. It's, it's the world that we live in is awaiting this, this um, liberation that will come with the revealing of the children of God. So that's the first question. So the creation is the creation. Uh, now, who subjected the creation? We're told, aren't we, that the creation was subjected to futility. OK, so uh, who subjected the creation to futility? And notice that it was subject to futility in hope. OK, it was subjected in hope. So who is the one who subjected the creation to futility? Well, it wasn't the creation itself um, because the passage also tells us that it was subjected to futility, not willingly. So it wasn't the creation itself. And it wouldn't have been us either. And it, and it can't. 
it wouldn't have been us. Yeah. And also, Adam, um, he uh, was responsible for plunging the world into sin, but he didn't have the kind of authority and power that he could subject the whole world to futility. That's not in his gift. <laughs> you know, he is right. just another created being. Um, uh, could it have been Satan? Some people have suggested that it refers to Satan. But that doesn't make sense because the passage says that it was subjected in hope. Yeah. Um, Satan is not in the business of bringing hope. <laughs> That's uh, right. So, yeah. so who who subjected the creation? Well, I, th I think, again, the best interpretation is that it was God, God himself, who subjected the creation to futility in hope. Uh, he's the one who has the authority and the power to subject the creation to futility. And because he's good um, and because he has a plan of redemption, he can do that in hope, in the hope of the liberation to come. So we have the creation being subjected um, to futility by God himself. So when was the creation subjected to futility that's another big question and some people have suggested that the creation was subjected to futility at the time of its origin at the time when it was created yeah i've heard that um and that that's quite common uh, to to hear that again it doesn't to me it doesn't really make much sense because surely the passage would have told us then that the creation had been created in futility but it doesn't it says that it was subjected to futility and subjected um at least to, to my mind implies that it was a change it was a change to something a state or a condition right. that already existed hmm. uh, and i think much more likely is that paul here is referring to the fall of genesis chapter three um, when adam's sin um precipitates uh, this subjection of the creation in futility um, because of Adam's rebellion. But notice, of course, as we've already said, that this subjection was done in hope, uh, that the, the passage uh, tells us that one day when the children of God are revealed uh, in, in glory, that the creation itself will also be liberated from its um, bondage to futility. So we see that the the hope, the future of the whole creation is somehow intimately tied up with the um, with the, the, the revelation of the liberty of the children of God. Now, just to kind of summarise then, what, what we've got here is a passage that is telling us that the creation, the non-human creation, the world we live in, was subjected to futility by God in the hope that one day it would be liberated um, in association with the redemption of human beings. Yep. And that this subjection occurred most likely at the time of the fall. Now, when you put all of that together, and I think that's the interpretation that makes the best sense of this sure. passage. Sure. That is wholly consistent with the young age creationist position, which... Um, says that Adam's sin brought death and corruption not only upon all of humanity, but also upon the entire created order. That when Adam um, sinned, it was as if he dragged down the whole of the creation with him yeah. into the mire. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that seems to me exactly what this passage is saying, that, that the creation itself is in some sense fallen that it is cursed, that it's subjected to futility because of Adam. This passage, it seems to me, is not consistent with uh, a view in which the creation had already been subject to billions of years of death and suffering and corruption, um, even before Adam was created. Right. Um, and... So I, I think, you know, here in Romans chapter eight, we have a, a passage which is 
totally consider it doesn't specifically tell us about animal death but i think it's wholly consistent with the view that there is something wrong with the non-human creation around us that it is not in the state and condition yeah. in which god originally created it yeah. and i think that is a really important um uh new testament passage uh that that I, th I think, you know, it's wholly consistent, as I say, with the yeah. young age creationist position, but I don't see that it's consistent with the old age position. Right. And that old age would be old age creation or theistic evolution or sure. whatever else there is that has eons and eons of time before humans appear on the scene. Um, exactly. And human sin. Yeah. Let me let me bring out another thing that I that I've been really thinking a lot about with this passage because I think it provides us uh, some pretty deep theology when we're thinking about uh, let's call it the fairness of God right so usually usually I've seen over and over more and more now uh, sort of the theistic evolution or old age creation uh, they, they might, well, more theistic evolution, really. They might say that it seems to be unfair that God would, that God would um, essentially declare this punishment of death on the entire human race because somebody ate a piece of fruit, right? If you're, if you tell your kids, I bought this bag of Oreos for your lunch. Do not eat any Oreos at home. Do not eat them before dinner. And you put them in the cupboard and you come back and there's the kid eating Oreos. You are not going to say, well, that's it. You're dead. And lop their head off. That just seems wildly inappropriate, right? I mean, who would do that? And so this this is posed to me as this sort of fatal uh objection that the, that the story of the fall just seems preposterously out of character with a god who actually cares about us and and isn't out to condemn as jesus said i did not come in the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved so hmm. how, how do you justify that and the, the language that paul uses in this passage is just so fascinating to me it was subjected not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope, right? Mm. And then we see here, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, not just groaning, but groaning together in the pains of childbirth. So mm. Paul paints this picture that's a little bit different than just, you know, swatting someone's hand because they, they ate the forbidden cookie that they weren't supposed to eat before dinner. This is... The, the punishment that God imposes on creation is the redemption of creation. Hmm. So in the same book, Paul will tell us the wages of sin is death, right? Hmm. And so if that's true, then the only way for God to save the world is to subject it to that suffering and death. Because that suffering and death then, through Jesus, becomes our salvation. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right, yeah. isn't it? The, the, the curse is actually the cure. Yeah, yeah, crazy, that's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. But, I mean, that is, exact, that, that is totally in line, isn't it, with, with the character of God? Yeah. That, he, that, that at the time when things look blackest, that's actually the moment when God is bringing hope and redemption. Right. Um, and, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And I, I also think this objection, uh, I think, reveals an inadequate view of our sin. Yes. yes because the, re so. the, re yeah, this, the death that came upon Adam and Eve um, and all of their descendants was, was not an overreaction on God's part. Um, this was a rebellion against the maker of the heavens and the earth. Yeah. You know, th this was this was Adam and Eve saying, we want to be in charge, not you. And they were cutting themselves off as well. We have to remember 
from the one who is the source of life. You know, the Bible tells us that God is the only one who has life in himself. Uh, we have life, but our life is entirely dependent on him. Right. And it, when we cut ourselves off from the one who's the source of life, which is in effect what Adam did, when he cut himself off from the source of life, um, death is the inevitable consequence. Uh, it's just yeah. an inevitability. Um, it, it would be like a you know, th this complaint seems to me like a diver who's connected to the boat up at the surface by a cable that allows him to breathe the air. And he doesn't want the constraint of the cable. And so he cuts the cable and then complains that he can't breathe, that he's dying. Right. But he's cut because he's cut himself off from the source of life. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what Adam and Eve did. did. That's what Adam did. He, he cut himself off from the source of life. Um, and death is an inevitability when we do that. Um, but in God's providence, as you say, death, the curse becomes in Christ, death, the cure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the punishment then becomes the means of redemption. Because mm -hmm. it seems to me that the only if if, if he doesn't impose that and then out of that bring redemption then the only other option then is to basically just wipe everything out completely, have no creation, yeah. either start over again or just say, well, that didn't work and go, <laughs> go on about his business, whatever that happens to be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so the death that's promised, the death that's given and the, the futility that God subjects it to create creation too becomes the, the means of redemption it's 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 pretty that's powerful right. and so that's why it's yeah. depicted as childbirth right mm. it's not a futile suffering mm. even though it's described as futility he gives <laughs> that second little hint there that it's not entirely futile there is going to be something coming out of this and that is the, re the yeah. redemption the, the revelation of the sons of god that are adopted through christ uh, and 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 then are you know the church? Uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it certainly is. All yeah. right. Well, I think we got one more thing we wanted to mention very briefly mm. here. Um, you have an article there by David Watson that has, um, I think yeah. he called them tent pegs. Is that right? Twelve tent pegs. Yeah, creation? that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Tell me now, a little about that. Okay, so so David C C Watson. Um, was uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, he was a British creationist. Um, he was a classicist, a, a classical scholar. Uh, he was an Anglican. Uh, uh, he was uh, the author of a book called The Great Brain Robbery about the creation-evolution debate. Okay. And uh, da David and I, um, uh, David um, went to be with the Lord in 2004, I think, but um, we, we were good friends. We used to regularly meet together. Um, to talk and pray about um, creation matters. Way back in 1988, David um, wrote an article that I think is worth revisiting. Um, uh, as you say, it was published in Creation magazine and it was called 12 Tent Pegs for Creation. So basically, David regarded um, Genesis chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, mm -hmm. which is, if you remember, that's the Ten Commandments. Yep. That's the, giving of the commandment Sabbath. that the giving of the Sabbath, and in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all in them is. Yep. And he he regarded those two passages, Genesis one, Exodus twenty eleven, as the kind of main support poles of the creationist tent, if you like. Okay. Um, but he wrote this article to talk about what he called the twelve tent pegs that helped to sort of secure the structure, and. Uh, these are passages uh, mostly drawn from the New Testament. I think 10 of the 12 were New Testament passages. And he, he basically argued that any one of them on, on its own um, probably wouldn't carry very much weight. But together, collectively, um, they actually seem quite significant. Right. Because they all seem to point in one direction and there don't seem to be any verses 
are similar that point in a different direction. Okay. So basically, the, the, the 12 sort of biblical passages he highlighted are passages that, that use phrases like from the beginning of creation, okay. um, from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, okay. since the world began. All right. Those are those are very good passages about creation. Yeah. The, yes. And they all seem to indicate that man, that humans have been around since the beginning of creation. For as long as creation has been around, humanity has has been around. Um, now, you know, obviously we, we can't go through every one of the examples that David gives in the article. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes so that people can have a look at it. But let me just give you a couple of examples that he, he kind of refers to. Uh, perhaps the, the, the classic example is uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 6, okay. uh, where we've already referred actually to the parallel passage in, in Matthew, where... Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. And in verse six, you know, he's referring to the creation of um, uh, male and female in the beginning. He says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And the implication there is that Adam and Eve were made male and female from the very time that the world was made from the from the time of creation and clearly you know if the world was only six days old at the time that adam and eve were created then that passage makes sense but if the world was already 4.6 billion years old at the time that you know adam and eve come along um it, it it doesn't make much sense to say that was from the beginning of creation yeah so that was one of the passages now you know there have been some responses to you know, from old earth, um, you know, Christians who believe in an old earth, you know, to, to these kinds of passages. Um, some have said, well, even in the young age perspective, Adam and Eve were not actually made male and female from the beginning of creation because they were created on day six, not on day one. Uh, that seems to okay. that seems to me. That seems to me a very trivial yeah, that's, that's uh, ob kind of objection. I, I wouldn't bother with that one. <laughs> No, I, I, I think that's very trivial. I, clearly, there's a difference if, you know, Adam and Eve are created on the sixth day of a several thousand year old creation. That's the beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, but four point six billion years in that's um, not is, is not that's not the beginning. That's the end. Actually. Um, <laughs> that's the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would make much more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. If, if that was the case. At the Jesus end of time. At the, the end of, of time. At the end of time. He made, he made yeah. them male and female. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people have said, um, actually, the phrase the beginning of creation really only means the beginning of the creation of humans or the beginning of the creation of marriage. Okay. Um, again, I think that's a bit of a stretch um, for, for, for one um, good reason. There's no adjective actually in the text that modifies the word creation Uh it just simply says from the beginning of creation that there's no modifier. Um, Jesus could easily have said, couldn't he, from the from the creation of marriage or, you know, from the time when God made people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Jesus could have said that, but he chose to say from the beginning of, of creation. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's one one example. Um, another example, um, ju just just to give you a slightly different one, is, is Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Uh, again, a very well-known passage, of course. Um, in the first chapter of Romans, um, Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is talking about the fact that God has revealed himself, his invisible attributes, through the things that have been made, through, through the, the creation, and that this leaves people without excuse that we can perceive God's invisible attributes through the things he has made. And what's really interesting is in that passage in, in Romans 1, he talks about the invisible attributes of God have been clearly seen from or since the creation of the world. <laughs> and again, right. this kind of begs, this begs the question, doesn't it? Um, if God's invisible attributes have been seen 
since the creation of the world seen by whom? I was just wondering that, yeah. <laughs> okay, because Paul is clearly not talking about trilobites or dinosaurs. <laughs> um, right, right. He's, he's talking about people. Yep. He's talking about the people who are left without excuse. Yes. That's, that's what he's talking about. Yep. Um, and again, the obvious implication of this passage is that human beings have been around, able to perceive in the created order... God's invisible attributes, God's revelation in the things that have been made, and that they've been doing that since the beginning of the creation itself. And David goes through a whole list of similar passages, as I say, most of them drawn from the New Testament. And together, he says, they actually give us quite a strong basis for saying that mankind is as old as creation itself. And again, that can only be true in a young, young age creationist right. position. Right. Uh, it can't be true in an old age creationist view or in a theistic evolutionary view. Right. So again, here, we're not proof texting. We're not grabbing one verse mm. and saying, see, this proves that creation creationism is true. This is a situation where the more you look and the more you study uh, just the scripture itself, it's really hard to get away from the idea that it's that creation is recent, that mm. that the fall is real. Um, yeah, it's all it's all there uh, if you just happen to you know go looking for it. And while we definitely need Genesis as part of God's revelation, otherwise He wouldn't have preserved it for us. Um, there's a lot that we can figure out just from the new testament even if we didn't have uh, genesis to to explain and elucidate exactly what those passages all mean yeah well paul this has been a fascinating discussion it brings to mind even more things that we'll have to spin off to the next to future episodes um yeah so much so much good stuff to talk about about you know, the creation and the theology of that all. Uh, but next time, we're back uh, to talk about our uh, series on uh, great discoveries in creation research. Uh, mm. We are interviewing um, important creation researchers and things that they have found that have really opened up new ways of thinking about science and creation. And so we're looking forward to that. Our next episode uh, should be John Whitmore, who is a professor of geology at Cedarville University. He's going to be telling us about his work at the Grand Canyon, which, Paul, I think you've been involved in some of that, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah, J John's a, a good friend, uh, been a good mentor and colleague, and I'm really looking forward to this one, to talk, talk to John, particularly about his work on the Coconino Sandstone, of course. All right, well, that's going to be great. So join us back here again in two weeks for that. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, if you would like more information about our podcast, you can visit coresci.org slash podcast. That's C-O-R-E-S-C-I dot O-R-G slash podcast. That's where you will find uh, archive of previous episodes. You can go back and listen to episode two, which we mentioned here. Uh, you can also get the show notes and get all the links to the articles and materials that we talked about in this episode. You can also contact us uh, through social media, the usual social media outlets, and um, you can send us an email podcast at coresci.org. Um, my ministry, Core Academy of Science, is one of the co-producers of this podcast. You can find us at coresci.org slash connect. There you will find links to all of our um social media accounts and important um, pages and articles that we think uh, will help you learn more about what we're doing. And you will also find a way that you can help financially support our ministry uh, to help us keep producing more podcasts like this. Paul, tell me about Biblical Creation Trust. Yes, you can find Biblical Creation Trust at biblicalcreationtrust.org. Um, that's our main website. We're also on social media, so you can find us on Facebook, for example. Um, uh, 
we're we like todd um with core academy we welcome your support your donations uh, if you visit our website you can sign up to receive our regular um prayer news either by email or if you're in the uk perhaps a hard copy prayer letter and uh, you can also click on the donate button that will take you to our, our donate page and there are all the options there for being able to leave us a gift and we really do appreciate every gift that we receive and it helps us to keep all of this great content coming doesn't it Todd? It certainly does so yeah we are very grateful for all of the supporters that we have we are very grateful for those people who've signed up for monthly mm -hmm. support that is gigantic that is a that is sort of our regular Absolutely bread and butter income and if you can't do that you know 20 50 100 dollars one-time gift would be greatly appreciated by either one of our ministries or both whatever you want to do we're very grateful so uh we will see you back here in two weeks for the next episode and we're looking forward to talking about geology thanks for listening to this week's episode of let's talk creation if you have questions, send them to podcast at coreside.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-O-R-E-S-C-I dot org. And be sure to let your friends know about Let's Talk Creation. And check us out on social media. Thank you.